excuse myself. We didn't record any of the hundreds of conversations that we were having as seemingly the world has woken up and realized, hey, man, you know what we do to these black folks is pretty messed up, you know? <laughs> right. We, we, but I was emotionally impacted, kind of like Spock in that Star Trek movie when this planet blew up. It takes a lot to probably <laughs> admit that. You know, I was emotionally <laughs> impacted. I didn't have anything positive to say about a whole lot of things for about two weeks. Right? You're supposed to be emotionally impacted. Yeah, but I don't want to be You're up on a podcast. <laughs> blubbering on a podcast, pissed off, trying to say some stuff. Nobody want to listen to that. I don't want to listen to that. I do. I got <laughs> jokes for the next 20 years. <laughs> as soon as you start blubbering. Right. Did you hear it's the 911 call? Crying yeah, like a... <laughs> yeah <laughs> we making the gif and everything you're gonna be mean <laughs> crying jordan it's june 2020 so just i say that i dropped a date for posterity's sake if my children my great-grandchildren one day come across this audio recording in some type of time capsule they'll know what happened at this time not a lot new for black people mm-hmm. not a lot new so really eh. But the response from the world has been really positive. People around the world are actually, you know, not just turning a blind eye to injustice. Yeah. Which is great. And I said to you the other day, because you said, you know, we haven't done the the George Floyd call, uh, you know, podcast episode. And I said, yeah, you know, I feel like we're behind that one already. And I have this other conversation that I want you to be a part of. And I want Dwayne Meekins to be a part of. It's about the power of symbols. And it relates because after what we're seeing, we're seeing uh, demonstrations every single weekend in in many cities across the world. People are showing up to say, hey, man, I don't stand for this injustice. You know, we need police reform. We need we need to get rid of modern day redlining. We need to I would love to throw in there. We need to get rid of the Electoral College. And and what, what you're having a lot of times is a lot of these monuments to. Uh, white supremacy and a, 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 a history of slavery and injustice are being torn down, literally torn down. Here's the image. Saddam Hussein's statue pulled down in, in Iraq. I mean, that's happening on college campuses with Confederate figures. Right. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Let's start here. If I drive to New Jersey on 95, I'm going to pass somewhere in Virginia. There's going to be like a 50 foot Confederate flag flying over 95. Mm-hmm. If I'm in North Carolina, in Cary, North Carolina, I drive to my gym, I'll drive down High House Road, and there'll be a Confederate flag flying at some dude's house. Yeah. And I, it doesn't bother me. I don't trip. You're not hurting me. You know? I'm, not, I'm unfazed by it. I'm, the, the poison has been defanged. I'm, I'm good. You just reveal good. yourself. Sure. But, on, you know, we see a lot of these news stories. We see a lot of stuff on the, on the, on the, uh, on the internet. People in the South are really passionate. I, I say, I don't say people in the South. Idiots in the South are really passionate about their Confederacy. NASCAR, NASCAR, the, who apparently, like, as of two weeks ago, said, oh, all good, go ahead and fly your Confederate flag, is now turned mm-hmm. around. The U.S. Marine Corps, for some reason, who thought it was okay to, you know, fly the Confederate flag, said, 
you know, now we, we, we now, now we, okay. All right. We're going to go ahead and turn it around now. Now you can't do it anymore. Right. But I want to talk about why that's the case. Why is it such a powerful symbol? Why does it mean something still to these people who were never around when there was a Confederacy? Yeah. What's going on? I always say you've got different sources. You have primary sources, secondary sources. Sometimes you'll find tertiary sources. And we know what a primary source is. That's the person who said it. I saw it. I heard who it. said it. Right. Mm-hmm. right. We go to them and we get their account. When it comes to understanding the Confederacy, where I always start my classes off with and my students with and anybody I'm talking to, I'm like, man, read the Articles of Secession. It's, it's there for posterity. Like, this is a, so to understand the Confederacy and everything that it stands for is a vital aspect of American history. It's, it's core to understanding who we are in 2020. And its symbols are long lasting for reasons, right? For important reasons. So in, in understanding what that means and why you go to the primary sources, read the Articles of, of Secession, read why the states said we are dissolving our ties to the United States. They all said because of slavery. You can Again, you can read it yourself. If it was Georgia, it's in the second sentence. Mississippi, second sentence. So South Carolina, they put in the first sentence that they are leaving the union because of Texas described. uh, No, I think it was Virginia described the oppression of slaveholding states by the United States and the northern states. Right. So they all say that they are dissolving their ties to the United States due to slavery. Again, Texas makes the point, hey, we were good. We were accepted into the union. We're going to be accepted into the United States as a slaveholding state. That's what we thought was going to happen. Mm. And now you're taking that away. They explicitly put that in the Articles of Secession. So we have to dismantle. That's, that's the first piece in dismantling any sort of arguments that try to take away race or slavery as not just a core, but the core reason for the very existence of the Confederacy. Mm. I don't know that people understand that. I don't know that the people waving the flag understand it. They don't. They don't understand it. There's something, and I've lived most of my, still, even though I've been here in Seattle for 10 years, I've still lived most of my adult life in the South and in Midwest, but in the South. And a lot of folks simply just don't know the history. And there are a lot of reasons why people who live in the South can be hyped and excited about their heritage and their people who have been on that soil. There's, there's any number of reasons why people can be hyped about and excited about and celebratory of their Southern heritage. This ain't one of them. <laughs> this ain't one of those pieces. This is the one you got to let go. You got to let that flag go. So it infringes and just quite frankly infringes on white, pri- on white privilege. Yeah. There's the, this undying belief and there's this empowered whiteness that is a part of it. And it's interesting watching even black folks who are advocates for the Confederacy and a Confederate battle flag and flying it openly anywhere. Those folks are also engaging in a privileged and empowered whiteness to be able to say, hey, 
this is what this is about. This is what it means to me. And nothing else that's a part of the discussion is even ultimately relevant. You don't matter. Right. Your opinion doesn't matter. And so they get those folks who are, I guess, who have the flag as a part of their embedded history. If they were to place it in its proper context, it wouldn't be that big of a problem. It's not a source of pride. It should never be. Proud to be in the South? Cool. I love North Carolina. I'm from North Carolina. Born and raised. Great. Enjoy it. Love it. Fly the North Carolina flag. Right. Well, Proud to be from the South. Oh, I love an, your accent. That's an interesting point. <laughs> you know, there are several states whose flags are still based on the Confederate flag, North Carolina being one of them, Georgia being For one sure. of them. You know, there are several states in the South, their flag that they currently have as their state flag where people of all different races, nationalities, pay taxes to the to the public government are flying, uh, you know, some derivative of the Confederate flag. I wonder if we'll go that if we'll go and address that. I mean, it's kind of down the list compared to uh, don't stand on my neck. Don't shoot me when I'm walking away. Um, you know, all that stuff. This but is my gotta phone, be on not list. a gun. Yeah. yeah, right, right. It's got to be on the list. So, you know, yeah. the thing that, that, that ticks me off, it bothers me a bit is. Well, there's a couple things. Start here as a positive. I've always said that it's a matter of time before the audience that we see in hip hop shows starts to understand better the the conscience of the performer. And as you know how that audience has changed, it's, it, it's not what it was in 88. It's a lot of it's 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 multinational, probably, you know, probably more reflective of the of the actual just walking the streets. It's it's a lot of a lot of white kids, a lot of Asian kids, and some black kids are actually at the shows. And they're listening to the music. And eventually some of that gets in. And, and that's cool. That's a really positive thing. Um, and now, now we're starting to see that same, like, the, the crowds in the streets look like the crowds at those hip-hop shows, which is awesome. But let's go back three weeks or four weeks. Like, everything that you're saying is so outrageous and egregious now was equally outrageous and egregious to me mm-hmm. three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Three mm-hmm. years ago. Sure. Right? Yeah. That shit pisses me off. Right. You said the and you said the key point. It was egregious to you and you understood it. And there is an inherent, there is an inherent disrespect that comes with specifically flying the Confederate battle flag and advocating for the Confederacy. First of all, they seceded from the United States. They were they all committed treason, which, as we know, is punishable by death. The United States decided these are our these are ultimately our beloved sons. They didn't think about the daughters. These are ultimately (laughs) our beloved white sons. And we will. And you want to talk about white and their privilege. Right. (laughs) Right. You want to talk about white privilege like you get off from treason. You started a country. Based upon the fact, and look, let's go to Alexander Stevenson. Alexander Stevenson was the vice president of the Confederate States of America. Gave a speech called the Cornerstone Speech. He talked about how the the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence said all men are created equal and inalienable rights. And he said, but those ideas, however, were fun. I'm quoting now. Those ideas, however, were fundamentally wrong. They rested upon the assumption of the equality of races. This was an error. 
it was a sandy foundation and the government built upon it fell when the quote unquote storm came and the wind blew. Our new government is founded upon exactly the opposite idea. Its foundations are laid, its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man, mm. that slavery subordination to the superior race is his natural and normal condition. And here's the thing, that wasn't even historically unprecedented. As a matter of fact, the United States set that precedent just a few years earlier in the Scott versus Sanford case, where Chief Justice Roger Taney from the Supreme Court of the United States said, Almost word for word, those same things. He said that the Negro has no rights that need be respected by any white man. When they determined two things, that Dred Scott was number one, not a citizen. Mm -hmm. They also determined because he was black, he was not a human. And they determined he was not human based upon, just as Alexander Stevenson has done, he said, the founders of the Constitution never intended, the founders of the United States, the writers of the Constitution, never intended for black folks to be counted as citizens nor humans. They're this special category called slaves. And not only are they this special category called slaves, it's their God-ordained place. This is their natural. We're going against the moral, philosophical bend of the universe by granting humanity to black folks. And so the Confederacy is perfectly in line and in alignment with the United States government. Mm. United States government hopped off that train just a little bit before the Confederacy did. Right. It's the only difference, it's the only, it's a fundamental difference between the two. One ended it, one ended it a little bit earlier. Both of them egregious, both of them standing in this, in this putrid, rotten, historical space. Right. The thing that trips me out about these flag waving lunatics who were not alive during the Confederacy, their parents weren't alive during the Confederacy. So I, I can let me give you a pass for one second and say, maybe you believe the flag means something other than its intended purpose. Maybe you just equate it to family pride because Grampy flew it over the farm. And, uh, you know, you know, it felt good. I remember my childhood when. And I would play with my Negro friends down by the creek. <laughs> Grampy, Grampy would fly the flag and Granny would put apple pies on the, on the windowsill. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's what you think it means. Because quite honestly, I never hear them make the slavery argument. It's always just my heritage. Mm -hmm. You know, right. those, these are the same Heritage, guys. not hate. Yeah, these are the same guys. And especially when you get to organizations like the Marine Corps. Or other armed forces who are now, just now, coming around the corner to say, hey, you really can't fly that other flag in public places, even though we're a public institution, you know, funded by taxpayers' money, and everybody, you know, kind of pays into this. You really can't fly that flag of hate here. But you could a month ago. I wonder how those same flag-flying lovers of the Confederate flag and, and bystanders who allow it to happen would feel if... We just started flying the British flag just around. I mean, you know, <laughs> right. you know, we fought against them. They were here. Yeah, they tried to claim. Jacket. They tried to claim their right here. And it's, you know, there were some some people who probably have British heritage and they love to fly their flag here in the states, but they lost. Right. They don't write the history right. here. They don't. Lo they're right. not. They're not who we are. They were the enemy, as a matter of fact, at the time. They had to defeat it. They have their own space. America has its own space. Your right. grandfather, my grandfather, 
Your uncles, my uncles, they have bled for this place. And we're going to yep. get into, you know, we're definitely going to get into some of that. What I'm talking with uh, Dwayne Meekins about uh, on the other segment is about the weaponizing of symbols. So yes. without going too deep into what I've got some specific points to talk about with him, when you hear the phrase weaponizing of symbols, what comes to mind? It is exactly what you're talking about. It is wielding the Confederate battle flag in ignorance. And that becomes a weapon. And just as you mentioned, you don't want to be on the podcast blubbering, right? Here we are, grown black <laughs> men of a certain age. And we're emotionally affected by a flag. And, and people talk about this all the time because I think, no, in my experiences, when it comes to understanding race, People in the United States lose all conceptions, too often lose all conceptions of historicity, and they lose all conceptions of chronology, meaning they are incapable or decide to be incapable of understanding how history fits into current context. That's that, that's that historicity portion, the historical portion. And the second portion we pretend as if these things are so long ago. So the chronology goes off, right? The sequence of events, we kind of get it, but we don't really understand what that means to say, look, let me throw, we'll throw some chronology. Here's some chronology. Most of the white folks who are waving Confederate battle flags are not from this soil. As you mentioned, right? If you're black, it's if you're black, if you're African-American or black, right? It is almost guaranteed that your family was on this soil during the Civil War. Almost every black person here in the United States is not an immigrant, mm. right? And so that means that black folks were here on this soil longer than anybody except the aboriginal folks of the soil, the people we call the Native Americans. We've been, we've been here longer than everybody but them. White people who came to the United States came in two big waves through Ellis Island, give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. And they, they called Ellis Island, what, in the 50s? But that's where most white people in the United States came through in the, in the 19th century and the 20th century. So these are people who have glommed on to a symbol that their actual parents and great-grandparents and grandparents weren't around to wield. But the ones who are from the South have chosen to take it up as a mantle and other, as I call them, Johnny come lately's who choose again to either wield the symbol in ignorance or ignore the bludgeoning that this ignorantly wielded symbol causes. They choose to ignore it. They came here. They didn't go to the South. They came to the North, but they're like, get over it. It was a long time ago, right? right. Because they don't have the investment in America. They don't have the time spent here. And they don't have the emotional investment to understand exactly what that flag means. And so as the Southern European and Eastern European immigrants who came to the United States got their whiteness, they engaged in the same types of, of, of co-opting of symbols, of, of being apathetic while these symbols are being used as bludgeons and being weaponized. Yeah. And it's it's consistently I've, I've always said throughout history, man, like the five percenters say you got five, 10 and 85. Mm -hmm. You know, the business world is a 20, 60, 20 rule. 
Most folks are apathetic or 85ers. Poor righteous teachers are helping. 10% are evil. 20% are evil. 20% are on your side. 60% are just going to follow who sounds the best mm. if they do anything. And so it is that apathetic group, the ones who don't say anything about the Confederate battle flag. Right. They are they are part of the problem because they don't work to protect their fellow citizens like you and I who don't want to be on the podcast blubbering and getting gifts and memes <laughs> created. <laughs> right. Because we have such a strong emotional connection and the emotional connection is not one that's just frivolous. It's not one that's benign. It's not one that's fleeting. That shit's embedded in literally centuries of blood and toil here in the United States to try to push this raggedy motherfucker to be the beautiful thing that it can be. Right. And, and without that investment, those symbols that people like to bludgeon and wield with, right. They become more dangerous and they cause more damage. Man, we have an ownership in emotion and in blood. We don't have an enough ownership in deed and financial. We have so much ground to cover. And now we may have some allies. You know, I don't know if it's PR or if it's real or how, how it's really going to shake out. You know, many major corporations now are coming around saying, hey, I got 120 mil for you. Come get it. I got 200 mil for you for minority-owned businesses. Now, that's a whole thing also. I don't want to hear about no minority-owned businesses. I want to hear about black-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. You take minority out of it because I don't want to see the fake Native American who's not really... Shout out to Native Americans who are real Native Americans, but anti-shout out to all the people pretending to be Native American just so they can get that set aside, that Luciano, that category. You've seen it. One of the things happening right now in Washington, D.C., was the NFL, one of these entities is getting pushed. And I don't want to sidetrack us too far. The NFL is getting pushed. People are looking at Washington, their Washington football team, the Redskins. Right. Yeah. And they're being challenged to change this mascot. This is not right different. Now. This has been the, right. I've, they've been having this discussion since the 80s. Yep. You know, but that and they find didn't some. Right. And they find some fake ass dude, some dude, some white dude proclaiming I'm chief such and such. Yeah. Right. Just completely and totally running over. I got to throw this in. The idea of a blood quantum. That's so difficult and challenging that you have some sort of blood that's not a universal native conception. In, in fact, I would bet and my native scholars and folks who listen, you know, can correct me, please. Most, as far as I know, our 501, I believe it is, our over 500 uh, recognized native tribes, they don't use a blood quantum. It's not you were born this way. And so this is the measure by which we determine your Indianness. It doesn't work that way. Uh, there are some that do, you know, it, it infringes on that, but it's not that simple. It's not like you just born. Oh yeah. Well, you were born to, to native folks. So you're native maybe. Right. And you can be not born. You could be a white person and you can be a full member of a tribe. Right. So, you know, so, so that's not a simple, but they're going to try it out somebody because there's that ambiguity. Right. They're going to try it out somebody and be like, no, nah, we native Americans think this is all right. Uh, my great, 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 great grandfather was a uh, sitting bull's favorite jester <laughs> whenever he wanted some jokes told like, uh, -huh. so yeah, to, to, to bring it back there, let's get very yeah. specific. And people have been, you've seen it. There's the use of 
minority. There's the use of people of color. It's all well and good when those are the intended groups. But we also need to be very specific at times. When we talk about you've got two million set aside or two, 20 million or 200 million set aside that is intended to right some wrongs or help something happen, help a, an underserved and, and downright depressed and oppressed population do better. You need to be specific about who that's for. It needs to be in the language. And we need some help. We need an on-ramp. We need mentorship and guidance on how to execute properly. Use some of that 200 mil to create an on-ramp in expertise that says, hey, how do I bring Maurice's, Dr. Dolberry's business, A Line in the Sand, into position to be able to claim some portion or compete well for some portion of that 200 million that XYZ company set aside? Yeah. This, this right now, man, to take it in that direction, this is the closest we've ever come to reparations. And what we're seeing right now, like when people have asked me and when I've engaged in this discussion around reparations for black folks, because the reparations discussion for uh, native folks is, is, is ongoing, but it is in process. They are in the process of having some sort of reparatory uh, concessions being made to them. There's something tangible that has been done for um, for natives, not even on the same planet where enough exists enough has been done right um black folks are at zero little things very simple uber eats said that they are not charging delivery fees for black businesses this is the type of thing when i always talk about reparations this is the type of thing i look for it's, it's cool you want to you want to throw every black person a check for you know three million dollars fine you can figure number and all that kind of stuff the things that you talked about, what, what are the things that are going to help us fundamentally? That's politically, socially, economically. How are we going to be empowered as black folks? Other people of color have very different and unique sets of circumstances around them. How do we get what we need? Part of it is the financial piece. So, yeah, setting up black businesses, getting black, giving black businesses things like we're not charging you fees, those types of things where you're creating a purposeful leg up, but you're not penalizing anyone else. If you own a white business and you had delivery fees before, you had delivery fees now, right? Yeah. yeah. Nothing's being taken away from you. Yeah, I, want you more, I want more than less, than less fees. I, oh, uh, <laughs> oh, no question. Dude, I'm just saying like, that's, that's surface scratching. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's like dust on the like. surface. For me, once you're breaking off Detroit Public Schools a billion dollars, to fix what's happening in education. Now you talk. Now yeah. you're talking. Yeah. Now look, let me jump in, get my business in, do some consulting. Don't let me get in. I don't damn. A billion dollars in Detroit public schools? Ah. You know what I mean? Like the, the the types of changes and things that we can make, the beautiful things we can do yeah. back at the crib. Yeah. Right. So I, I want uh access to healthcare. Yep. That that really addresses the underlying issue. I don't want any hubbub about it. Black people everywhere to have access to quality health care, not at an unaffordable prices. Like it should just be, look, okay, we've quantified how much reparations are in modern day context dollars. We're going to start charging against that by health care, mm -hmm. basic universal health care, starting with black people. That would be awesome. Yeah. That would be awesome. I can get preventative checkups and dental care. Boom. Do that. That'd be awesome. Yep. Right? 
Yes, fix the schools. Invest however much money you need to fix in the school. Find some black educators, some researchers. Hire them to create textbooks that are inclusive. You open any textbook in any middle school, elementary school right now, and you go to the black people story, it's not right. Still. We had talked one time, one of uh, podcasts uh, in Texas where just a few years ago, another thing I used in my classroom, a uh, black woman brought four word to the Texas State Board of Education in one of the textbooks they had adopted. They described the slave trade as the triangle trade or the triangular trade. They took the word slave out of it and they described the people being taken, being stolen from the African continent as workers. So it said workers were taken from the African continent to come to the United States, right? Workers, not enslaved. The fundamental difference between slave and worker, that's in the textbook. That's like, hey, hey, over African, you got, hey, I see you hitting those rocks. Now, would you like to come over here and hit those rocks instead of doing it here? It's cooler over here. It's less hot. You want to do it over here? Well, yeah, man. You know, since I'm a worker already, uh, I think I will voluntarily get on your boat and ride on over and hit your rocks on that side. Right. No, man. No. People. People yes. were taken. Absolutely. People were murdered. Yes. People were then created through rape and, yes. and dehumanized. Yes. On a continual generational basis. Yep. Come on, bro. Yeah. Slavery is a condition. People are enslaved. Right. And that's one of the things that, that, that I work in my language, too that we need to put into the discourse. People are enslaved. People are not slaves. I saw on Twitter a cat described, uh, gosh, who was it that he was talking about? It might have been Frederick Deneau. Was he, talking, he was talking about a woman who was an, an abolitionist. One Ida B. Wells. But he, he described her as a free slave. <laughs> <laughs> like, bruh, what? Right, right. But, we have embedded blackness with slavery and it goes back to what I was talking about in the United States. Cause people will talk, well, slavery was everywhere. There's slavery in it. Don't give two bucks about slavery somewhere else. When we are talking about slavery here in the United States, horrible, historical, immoral, those things can be discussed at a different time. Here in the United States, slavery is based in the types of things that the United States government and the Confederate government, the Confederate States of America government said about black folks. Not the same race as white people, not the same level of humanity as white people, not citizens. Those are drastically different things that are specifically and uniquely American about American chattel slavery. And we can't do anything about what some Arab Muslims did and while Saladin was conquering and turning Catholic churches into mosques, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're talking about 2020. You know, we're talking about what happened here in the United States in the, the 17, 18, 19, 17 and 1800s, right? which is something unique and something specific and needs to be addressed on its own without trying to force some sort of greater context about slavery and people who have been enslaved throughout antiquity. I don't give two shits. That's not relevant. Not to, for example, why you're going to repay, uh, why you're going to give reparations to black folks. You're going to say, hey, black people get free health care and your flag is a piece of shit. Take it down. 
any hero who you like, nah, we're not putting them up in public. Put them in a museum. Have your museum to Confederate history. Enjoy it. Go visit it. Make it the most visited place in the United States. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Do that shit. Don't ignore the history. The history is important. I've been talking about a bunch of that Confederate history. You know, so so I, the history is important. Keep it. Don't bullshit me. Do not put in the red herring to talk about the morality of slavery as it has existed amongst humans throughout <laughs> the history of humankind. Right. Give a damn. Agreed. 